Picture yourself mountain biking along a new trail. You don't know the terrain, and there are some roots and bumps, but these are expected. Yet sometimes, things go wrong. There might be a tree falling across the path, your tire could deflate, or your gear shift might break. The weather could act up. Sometimes, a large storm or a trail closure affects your trip before it even starts. This is like the journey a cancer patient takes. There are smaller challenges like the roots on the trail, but there may also be emergencies such as a fallen tree or deflated tire. An emergency might even be what causes the cancer to be discovered. As part of the medical team acting like a trail guide, it's important to look out for these emergencies and know how to handle them should they occur. Today, our patient has a malignant emergency, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled Derailed on the Trail, Malignant Emergencies. Time for our minute physiology. Cancer is generally related to derangements in the cell cycle. This could be increased cell proliferation, stasis in the cell cycle causing accumulation, or decreased cell death. These derangements are often linked to abnormalities in the genes or products of genes that mediate these processes, such as tumor suppressor genes and oncogenes. Tumor suppressor genes act as breaks on cell proliferation. If both copies of these genes undergo loss of function mutations, the cells can become malignant. Examples of tumor suppressor genes include p53, BRCA1 and 2, and APC. On the other hand, oncogenes can cause acceleration of cell growth when one copy is activated by a mutation causing overexpression or gain of function. Examples include KRAS, BRAF, HER2, and EGFR. These many genetic pathways may explain some of the varying behaviors of cancers, even within the same disease site. Many novel immunotherapies target these genetic pathways or their products, such as trastuzumab, aka Herceptin, used in HER2-positive breast and gastric cancer, and the small molecule EGFR inhibitors erlotinib and gefentanib, initially approved in lung cancer and also used in head and neck cancer. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. There are myriad ways that cancer can cause havoc in the body, and a number of these may cause an acute emergency. These can be broken down into four categories, metabolic, hematologic, structural, and treatment-related. Metabolic emergencies include tumor lysis syndrome, or TLS, syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone, or SIADH, and hypercalcemia. Tumor lysis syndrome is caused by the mass release of the cellular contents of dead malignant cells. It is discussed in more detail in episode 54. Remember that it may be treatment-related or may be spontaneous, usually in hematologic malignancies. SIADH and hypercalcemia are also more likely in tumors of specific disease sites or histologies, such as small cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, or lymphomas. An in-depth review of hypercalcemia can be found in episode 12. Hematologic emergencies are common in hematologic malignancies, but are not exclusive to them. They can occur in solid organ malignancies as well. These include disseminated intravascular coagulopathy, or DIC, hyperviscosity syndrome, and leukostasis. Hyperviscosity syndrome is an increased resistance to blood flow in the vessels. It is most associated with monoclonal gammopathies, such as in Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia and multiple myeloma. Leukostasis is a similar syndrome caused by significantly high levels of leukocytes that can be seen in acute leukemias. 
structural emergencies relate to the mass itself or its effects on the surrounding tissues. These include the mass compressing something else, for example, the airway, spinal cord, causing epidural spinal cord compression, the superior vena cava, causing superior vena cava obstruction, or the bowel or urinary tract, causing obstruction. They can also involve the mass-destroying normal structures, such as in pathologic fractures, where tumors cause lysis of the bone. Other causes of emergencies include brain metastases, which may cause a mass effect, leading to focal neurologic deficits, increased intracranial pressure, and seizures. Malignancies can also cause pericardial effusions, which can exert enough pressure to cause cardiac tamponade if large or rapidly growing. Finally, treatment-related emergencies are directly related to anti-cancer therapeutics. The most well-known of these is febrile neutropenia in patients on chemotherapy. For an in-depth exploration, listen to episode 42. The rise of immunotherapy has also led to a corresponding rise in the incidence of its side effects, which can be severe and potentially life-threatening. These can generally be thought of as inflammation of any organ. Examples include pneumonitis, hepatitis, colitis, myocarditis, and thyroiditis. Let's move on to the patient assessment. You've been asked to see a new patient in the emergency department with a history of cancer, or that you suspect has cancer. What do you do next? As always, assess whether your patient is stable or unstable. Are their ABCs managed? What are their vitals and their GCS, and have these changed during their stay? Do they need urgent resuscitation? This is especially important in a patient with a malignancy, whether they have one of these emergencies or not. They may be immunosuppressed and therefore can be quite sick. On history, there are a few key pieces of past medical history to learn. What type of malignancy do they have? Is it solid, such as lung or breast cancer, or liquid, such as leukemia? This will change the probability of certain emergencies. Also, what is the stage of their cancer? Is it known to be metastatic? Is the histology known? Any details can be useful. Next, ask about treatment. Are they currently receiving any cancer-related therapies, and if so, what? If they are on chemotherapy or immunotherapy, it is important to document which agents are being used. For any therapy, including radiotherapy, it is useful to know when their last dose or treatment was. A patient whose last dose of chemotherapy was three months ago is generally not considered at risk for something like febrile neutropenia. It's important to remember that sometimes an oncologic emergency can be the first presentation of a malignancy, so they may not have any of the above information. Next, perform a thorough review of systems. Ask about a few major symptoms for each major malignant emergency. Any seizures or focal neurologic symptoms which could indicate brain metastases? Any back pain with motor deficits, saddle anesthesia, or autonomic dysfunction to suggest spinal cord compression? Have they noticed facial swelling or dyspnea associated with superior vena cava obstruction? Any easy bleeding or bruising associated with DIC or purpura, which can be seen in hyperviscosity syndrome? Are they febrile? And, if they're on chemotherapy, have they been checking their temperature regularly? Any new pain, particularly chest pain, back pain, or bony pain? Your physical exam should be somewhat tailored towards their complaint. The assessment should include a screening neurologic examination. In a patient with possible spinal cord compression, a complete lower limb neurological assessment is important, including rectal tone. A skin exam may also be valuable, both to look for any bruising and to check for any cellulitis or skin breakdown that might provide an infectious focus for febrile neutropenia. Eliciting the Pemberton sign by having the patient lift their arms and assessing for facial plethora may be helpful if you are worried about superior vena cava syndrome. If you have concern for pericardial tamponade, perform a pulsus paradoxus. 
A quick cardiac focus exam, if it is within your skill set, can be very helpful. If you want a second opinion or assistance, a friendly eMERGE doc may be able to help with a rapid focus assessment before calling cardiology. Let's talk about the workup. By the time you move on to the workup, you should be able to tailor your testing towards the possible malignant emergencies your patient could have. The basics are very helpful. A CBC will show cytopenias in febrile neutropenia or DIC. Electrolytes, as well as calcium and phosphorus levels, will be valuable for tumor lysis syndrome, hypercalcemia, and SIADH. An ECG can show low voltages or electrical alternands associated with pericardial effusion, or the peak T waves of hyperkalemia and tumor lysis syndrome. For imaging, a standard chest X-ray is a reasonable first test to look for a compressive mass causing superior vena cava obstruction, though CT thorax is the most definitive. Chest imaging can also help look for infectious foci in febrile neutropenia or immunotherapy complications like pneumonitis. A CT head is able to pick up large brain masses, though an MRI is the most sensitive test. If there is concern about spinal cord compression, obtain a bladder scan ultrasound, and an MRI of the appropriate spinal level should be ordered as soon as possible. Let's move on to treatment. Given the broad array of malignant emergencies, it is beyond the scope of this podcast to discuss specifics for each one, so we will stick to the items that are relevant across emergencies. You will often need to act quickly, as your patients may be unstable. Even if they are stable, rapid treatment can preserve function and improve outcomes, such as in spinal cord compression. Continue reassessing the ABCs and provide therapies to stabilize your patient as needed. Volume resuscitate appropriately. This is particularly important in tumor lysis syndrome and hypercalcemia. Give broad-spectrum empiric antibiotics if you suspect an infectious process or febrile neutropenia. Interventions such as pericardiosynthesis or plasmapheresis should be performed without delay if indicated. Call in the help of specialist colleagues early where necessary. Appropriate services may include cardiology and significant pericardial effusions or tamponade, hematology in patients with tumor lysis syndrome or hyperviscosity syndrome, radiation oncology and either neurosurgery or the orthopedic spine team for brain metastases or spinal cord compression, or ENT in patients with airway obstruction. Additionally, it's a good idea to contact a patient's treating oncologist if they have one, after an admission to let them know what has happened. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Derailed on the Trail, Malignant Emergencies. This episode was written by Dr. Claire Brown, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Alana Svetskova, medical oncologist, and Dr. Jeff Yu, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. Music production by Lakshmi Santhamalan. As always, don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.